This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome back to another episode of Shrink Chicks. Take a seat on our virtual therapy couch and get ready to learn all about, well, you. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're both licensed marriage and family therapists and relationship experts. We're the owners and founders of The Therapy Group, a nationwide psychotherapy practice with down-to-earth therapists just like us. Your session is starting, so get ready to know yourself and grow yourself. Hi, Jen. Hi, Em. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Living little, the dream, Betty. My little sickie. My little, I know. I sound like shit. Not as if people don't hate my voice enough now. It really sounds pretty bad. Um, and we're so all going to do it, you know? This is, this is sometimes how it rolls, okay? But wait, Hannah, amazing listener, Hannah. We love you, Hannah, wrote in. What's your favorite 90s movie? Okay, this is easy. Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> easy. Thanks, Hannah. I had the I had the VHS tape and you just the, watch the, it. The double. Yeah, was du- yes. there was two I, of them. I remember. Them. I remember it. Yes. Yeah. Oh God, it was so good. Yeah, I loved it. I was about to say mine, and then I'm like, oh, mine might be early 2000s. Oh, what was yours? I mean, you're I was, you are you are a baby. I am baby. I, I know. I was born in '89, so <laughs> I am very. Um, okay, wait, 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 wait. Well, I was gonna, the, well, I was going to say you, Man of the House, which I love because I love oh. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. You know that. Yes. Of course. Um, I, I would say, you know, I love me. So I don't know. Wow. Maybe we should have a movie marathon. What about like um, um, Homeward Bound? Great one. Oh, my God. Great. Well, and Beethoven, one of my Beethoven. favorites. <laughs> yes. You know, well, my daughter. So my so we were talking recently. My daughter's obsessed with Matilda now. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Obsessed with Matilda. Great, great movie. So the other day she was like, let's play that you're my dad and you don't like books. And I was like, do you want me to be Matilda's dad? She's like, yeah, let's play that. Pretend that you're a mean teacher. (laughs) And did you? I'm like, you want me to be Miss Trunchbull? Great. Wait, what did we say recently? We were talking about Miss Trunchbull. I don't know, probably that would dress like her. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Honestly, like she had some style. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, oversized, oversized crew neck and leggings. Right, like she she knew what she was doing. She was way yeah. ahead of her time. Yeah, right. Maybe she was misunderstood. Okay, but <laughs> speaking of a misunderstood, I don't fucking know how we're going to this. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome. I feel like imposter syndrome has become very mainstream to talk about. So we want to sort of break it down and make it a little bit more specific. Yeah. So um, as you all know, we like to do this with therapeutic terms. So let's talk about it. Specifically, there's an amazing book people can read, which is The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. Dr. Valerie Young, really great um, book if you want to read more of this, but she puts it very well into subgroups. So I thought I would talk a little bit about these subgroups to break it down. So as you're listening to this, try to think about yourself, like maybe which one would I fall into? So are you ready for them? I'm so ready. Okay. So she starts out with the perfectionist, which is perfectionists set excessively high goals for themselves. And when they fall to reach a goal, they experience major self-doubt and worry about measuring up, a.k.a. these are the ones that are control freaks. Okay. The next one is superhuman. 
convince their phonies amongst their real deal colleagues. They often push themselves to work harder and harder to measure up. But this is just a false cover up for their insecurities and the work overload may not only harm their own mental health, but also their relationships with others. Imposter workaholics are actually addicted to the validation that comes from working, not the work itself. The natural genius These are the people that like, you know, most things are pretty easy for them. They get it right the first time. So they judge their competence based on ease and Mm. speed as opposed to their efforts. In other words, if they take a long time to master something, they feel shame. Wow. The soloist. (laughs) Sufferers who feel as though they're asking for help reveals their phoniness. If they can't do it on their own, they must be fake. And then the expert. Experts measure their competence based on a what and how much they know or can do, believing they will never know enough and they fear being exposed as inexperienced or unknowledgeable. Oh. So just so you all know, if you check out this book, it has like the questions to ask yourself if you like relate to these so it can tell you which one that you are. But Jen, just from reading that, from me, listening to me, which one do you think you relate to? What was the like validation from work one? <laughs> um. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wait, which was the validation? It was work? like the third yeah. one. Oh, said. yeah. Yeah. Well, the superhuman. And then it's the imposter workaholics. <laughs> Guilty. Is that one for you, right? Yeah. Does, right? I mean. Yeah. For No, no. For me, too. You know, what's funny is somebody wrote it and said, why do you think this is so common with new therapists? Oh. If therapists have to be able to acknowledge superhero complexes, you do not end up in this field unless you want to feel good about yourself. I'm sorry, it's just true. We are not these selfless, wonderful humans. It's nice if we help people too, but bullshit, this is selfless. Right. I also think, you know, there is this sense after grad school when you're going into the field of, I need to know everything that I'm talking about in order to help someone. And the fact of the matter is the field of psychotherapy is so vast and so gigantic that there is no way that you are going to know it years and years into the field. You're not going to know everything. And so the thing I think is really important to acknowledge for new therapists is that even if you don't know everything, you can still help people. Right. Like you can still. And I think one of the most important things to have when you get out of grad school as a new therapist is the ability to acknowledge that you don't know everything because it opens you up to learning and to looking at, well, are there other ways that I could view this? Uh, I can go to supervision. I can talk about, you know, how to look at this in different ways. And so that I think our imposter syndrome at times leads us to having kind of this exterior wall to be able and keeps us from from reaching out to help for help of, you know, how would how would you do this differently? What does this look like for you? And I think you really need this level of humility and the ability to be humble when you're a new therapist, probably doing anything new. You know, we're just talking from experience Um, so that you can learn and you, you can grow. So what do you think? Okay, so I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why we are, obviously, we have a group practice, but we're big people that believe in group practices. Because one of those is the collaboration and asking other people for help, which I feel like is something 
that sometimes therapists really suck at doing yeah. and I'm such a believer in is that like I do not know everything. Right. OK, so I have a supervisee. What did I do last week? A supervisee comes in with me or something and I say, you know what? I am not the best person to talk to this about, but I bet I can get Jen to. And you called her up and you guys work together, right? Yeah. And so I have to admit that I do not know everything, even though I am this like approved supervisor and this is what I do, whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. In that moment, the best person for that consult was you, not me. A hundred percent and vice versa, right? Yeah. That, that happens all the time too, where I'll be like, listen, this isn't my area of expertise. We do that with supervision. We do. We also do that in business. Like if yes. someone's coming to us with like a business question, if there's something that like you are more rooted in, I'll direct them to you. But I, I think when, when maybe we first started, that would have been harder to do because without being able to accept that you don't know everything because you're you're once again trying to stay so far away from your impo your imposter syndrome is so strong that instead of doing that you try to prove that you know everything and it keeps you from actually being rooted in what you know and actually helping people in the ways that you can and so that's what i would really encourage if you're a new therapist or you're doing something new in any field is to understand that it doesn't mean something bad about you to not know everything. It's actually natural to not know everything. And the, the more that you can accept that you don't know, the more you're going to be able to learn and grow because it'll allow you to reach out for help. Yeah. We are so excited to share our newest sponsor with you all, Hungry Root. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality groceries and simple, healthy recipes delivered to your door. The team at Hungry Root just sent me a new box full of amazing stuff. It was literally like I was opening a present going through it. Seeing what was inside and trying everything was just so thrilling. In my Hungry Root box was chicken salad, veggies, dumplings, shakes, cookies, and so much more. My favorite thing I tried was the drumroll donuts. I highly recommend them. The ordering process could not have been more simple. You take a fun, short quiz and Hungry Root will get to know your personal health goals, what you like to eat, the kitchen appliances you use, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all of your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to good use. Hungry Root will recommend recipes and groceries based on your personal tastes, but each order is fully customizable. Take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, pantry staples, healthy snacks, sweets, ready-to-eat meals, and much more. Hungry Root has made my daily meal prep so much easier. The mental load of grocery shopping is exhausting, and Hungry Root gives me back that mental energy. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When bloggers or influencers post their outfit links, nine times out of 10, I click on it and immediately exit because the price is bananas. It wasn't until recently that I clicked on something expecting it to be the usual out of my price range sweater and it was under $60 at Quince. Quince has become my ultimate 
destination for luxury essentials that won't break the bank. Let me tell you about some of the gems I found at Quince. From their 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters starting at just $50 to their washable silk tops and dresses, organic cotton sweaters, and stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, Quince offers a range of high quality items at prices that are truly within reach. And here's the best part. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Yes, you heard that right. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman passing the savings on to us. I recently got my hands on one of their washable silk tops and let me tell you, it has become a staple in my wardrobe. Not only is it incredibly versatile, I've worn it to work, out with friends, and even dressed it up for a date night, but the quality is unmatched. Give yourself the luxury you deserve with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash shrink chicks. I mean, it's, so somebody had said in, do you ever get over imposter syndrome? Is there something deeper to be addressed? Yes. One of the reasons why we want to talk about these subtypes is because you have to be able to address what's underneath it. Why do you feel like it gives you more worth if somebody validates you from work? Why do you feel like it gives you more worth if you don't have to ask for help and you're natural in something, right? So exploring, and I think it's interesting because we talked about this a, a lot about our episode of guilt. What morally is telling you there's something wrong here? Mm. If I don't know the answer to something and I have to ask for help, what am I, what, what's my fear that that's saying about me? Something that's common across all the subtypes is the idea that someone's going to figure me out. I guess the question is, are they going to figure out that we're human? Right. Are they going to figure out that we're complex people that don't have the answer to everything? Like, what are we so scared they're going to figure out? We I, we did actually talk about this in our, I think it was our guilt episode, yep. that when we look at other people or maybe our expectations of what we thought we would feel like in this role at this point is... I'm going to know everything, right? In order to help people, I have to know everything. Um, And then when we're not measuring up to that high expectation, that actually impossible expectation that we've set for ourselves, then we feel bad. We feel like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm doing something wrong. As opposed to maybe we look at the expectation that we originally set for ourselves to be able to say, oh, this is actually unrealistic. I actually set this ridiculously high expectation for myself that I'm never going to meet because I'll never know everything. And it doesn't mean something about me. The, I wanted to mention something something else that I, I loved, and I saw this when we were kind of doing a little bit of research, is there, there are two uh, psychologists who actually coined the term imposter phenomenon. Um, this was Pauline Rose Clance and her colleague Suzanne, uh, sorry if I get this wrong, I, Ames. They coined this term imposter phenomenon because the idea that it's a syndrome um, makes you feel like it's a disorder in some way, where when you say phenomenon, it's everyone experiences it, right? Like this is a valid thing that everyone experiences. Because I think the idea of it being a syndrome isolates you even further to feel like, oh, once again, I'm struggling with this. No one else experiences this. No, everyone experiences this. I actually also saw that when I was looking this up, that people like Maya Angelou, Don Cheadle, 
all feel imposter syndrome. So you look at people who have, you know, achieved these like incredible things who feel this intense imposter syndrome and actually common. Imposter syndrome is way more common and particularly high among ethnic minority groups. Mm. And it often, you know, affects those who also show symptoms of depression and anxiety. So I think that's a really important thing to also acknowledge that it's very common um, and really high among ethnic minority groups too. That's fascinating. It so, is. But here's the thing. Somebody wrote in, do you think imposter syndrome is sometimes good? It keeps us from getting too cocky and a know-it-all syndrome. I guess here's my concern about that. Is that like, I don't think that you need imposter syndrome to not be a cocky dick. And why I say that is like what we're actually talking about is like the vulnerability, the vulnerability to ask for help, the vulnerability for things to take longer than we thought to learn, the vulnerability to not be the expert, the vulnerability to not be a superhuman. Right. And I guess my fear is that it feels like it's almost like going to a different extreme to be like, here's your options, cocky or totally avoided it with a master syndrome. Right, right. And so really what we're talking about is like, what would it be like to look and say, when does this come out? And what would it be like for me to be very honest with what's happening here? Yeah. Someone asked us, do you ever get, oh, no, they said, I thought they said, do you ever get imposter syndrome? Yeah, of course. Of course. Every Tuesday, every Thursday, I don't know. Like, Tuesday, <laughs> Tuesday specifically. <laughs> specifically Tuesdays. Um, yes, I would say, you know, something we have talked about a lot is because we do so much of the managing and admin part of our business, we don't have 100% of our time to focus on learning new therapeutic skills and learning, reading new books and do all this stuff. And that is really difficult because then all of a sudden you feel like, holy shit, like if I was to just have one thing to focus on, I could be an expert in it. And like you and I are, we have a lot of knowledge with a lot of different stuff. But I would say we're specialists. Yeah. And it's hard because then you talk with somebody like, man, I'm so far behind. This person knows all this other shit. And it really does make you feel like, well, then how can I be on this podcast telling people? Right. So I would say this podcast brings up a lot of people. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting because we, we put up a, a Q&A question on our Instagram at Shrink Chicks yesterday. And one of the questions is like, what do you guys do? You know, what does a normal week look like for you? And <laughs> you can send this to me. What did you say? <laughs> but I answered and I was like, uh, you know, marketing, networking, supervision, social media, what else? I said insurance. You know, sometimes we do deal with legal stuff, payroll. Like the amount that we're doing is wild. And so, yeah, I think as we open up new roles, we just wear so many hats. <laughs> you know, it's just impossible to feel and like, you know, 100% confident in all of those areas. I think the more we do it, the better we'll feel. The more we have been doing it, the better we have felt. But it takes time, especially when you're doing anything new, when you're entering into any new phase of life. You know, I can imagine, and you can speak to this, of like becoming a new mom. <sighs> if that brought up any imposter syndrome for you. That's really interesting. I don't know if that's what I was feeling. Oh, what I was feeling was... One of the things I'm pretty good at is be like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? right. So like, I feel like with That's, motherhood, yeah, 
with motherhood, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. But I think that there's this underlying something that they talk about a lot um, with new moms. Your kids get older is the idea of mommy wars of like comparing the like, oh, my kid talks sooner. My kid's walking. And it was funny because my sister-in-law had a baby three weeks after me. So we we call them the twins. Like our they're cut like they're cousins. They're three weeks apart. They've been on the complete timeline. But um, he's a boy. She's a girl. And it was interesting because like developmentally there was stuff that was different. Like I think Millie was talking sooner, but he was way more physical, walking, like going on a scooter, like all this stuff. And so like the whole time you're like sort of doing this comparison. So for me, it didn't feel like imposter syndrome. I didn't feel like I was faking it. It just felt like straight fear. Yeah. I'm going to damage this kid. I'm going to fuck this up. Mm. But I think for me, I wasn't pretending. Like I right, right. I guess that's true. <laughs> I was just legitimately falling apart all the well, time. I think, I think that that, okay, it, it, it brings up a really good point of like what's underneath our imposter yeah. syndrome at times. You know, and if you were so open during that time of like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I'm really struggling with this. And so... You know, that's one of the ways to battle imposter syndrome is to like be vulnerable and open yep. about what you're feeling. But it brings up a really good point of like fear can be one of the things that's underneath your imposter syndrome of fear of I'm I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this right. And what does this mean about me that that yeah. fear is like a really, really, I think, strong piece of it. But the way it sounds like you kept yourself from from that turning into imposter syndrome mm -hmm. is to be so open with your experience. You know what? But it was also like felt like different for a job, right? Like for a job, I feel like you have to keep it together, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm going to get fired or people are going to know or they're going to talk. Like with motherhood, I was like, what? what's this baby going to do? Fire <laughs> Who's me? going to fire you? <laughs> like, you're my out. Kid, my kid wasn't going to be like, you want to know what? Get me another one of these. I'd like a new mother. Um, So I had that going for me. But I'll tell you the number one. Okay, Jen, I'm going to tell you exactly the number one time in our business I get the most imposter syndrome okay. is when people ask us questions about insurance reimbursement. <laughs> do you have this too? Because I'm always like, I... Don't understand our insurance system. This shit makes no fucking sense. Sometimes they approve it. Sometimes they don't. It's like, and then I'm like, is it because of me? It's because I don't know what I'm doing. Or, That's the number one also, time. We're also very open about that too. You know, we're very much like, no idea. We're figuring it out. That's one thing I think, you know, not that, that we do well, I hope that it, with our clinicians is that if we are you know, are figuring something out or we don't know, we very much say that to them of like, listen, we're still figuring this out. Yeah. This is, I think the things in which when, when we're like, we really don't understand this or, or know this, we're pretty open about that. We don't really pretend like we know, we know what we're doing. And I think that that humanizes you as a person too. You know, I'm also thinking about someone who like, someone who's starting a new job, who has like a manager or someone who oversees them. And I don't think I would have known this until like being in this role of like managing people or people coming to you. But it is so helpful as a manager to go to them and say, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can you help me? It's so helpful because then you really know and understand where they need support. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and as a manager, like that's, that's your job is to help support them so that they can do it on their own. And so 
if you're entering into a new job and you have someone who's like overseeing you, I think there's a lot of fear of like, oh no, they hired me. And if I admit that I don't know what I'm doing here, they're going to fire me or they're going to think they made a bad choice. But actually, it really is helpful for the person who's overseeing you or managing you to know where you need to learn more. Um, or if you have a good more. manager. I mean, some people right. have asshole fucking managers. That's true. Right. I'm just I mean, assuming. Like, I know, right? And, and like, let's assume people are good people. But like something right. that does come up is like there are That's people true. that will hold it against you. So I feel like you have to sort of say is like, um, is it safe for me to be vulnerable? We've talked That's about this before. Point. Like, you know, as therapists, we're like vulnerability, vulnerability, vulnerability. Sometimes people will use that shit against you. So you do have to have the ability to sort of say, like, is this a safe place to do that? That's a good point. And maybe if it's not your manager, maybe it's a peer. Hey, I'm new. I just started. Could you, you know, the one time we just switched payroll companies. The first time we ran payroll, they were like, all right, we'll just do a Zoom with you during it. I said to them, I was like, listen, <laughs> there's a chance I have a panic attack during the first <laughs> time <laughs> that we run payroll. I'm, we are, that's what I mean is like, we're very open about when we don't understand something or it gives us anxiety. I literally said to this person who I don't know at all, I said, there's <laughs> a chance I might have a panic attack while we do this. It ended up being fine. I did yes. not have a panic attack. But even that Friday after the first paychecks went in, I texted Amy, one of our therapists, and was like, did your paychecks go in? Yeah. Like, I was so worried that for some reason people wouldn't get paid. We never yeah. used this system before. I'm like texting people people like you got yes. paid right <laughs> right I mean it's like it's trial and error and like yeah. as human beings we got to figure things out too and I think when you look to someone you know who's in like a managerial role you just assume oh they they know what they're doing they have it all together too yeah um but we also got to figure shit out you know so yeah but I, I love what you said Em about because you don't want to assume that people who are higher ups are Good, helpful uh, safe, managers. Yeah, good and helpful and like have the best intentions to yeah. want to help you. And I think it is important to look for like, are there peers I can look to? Are there other people or maybe have been in similar positions that I can look to that actually feel safe for me? Yeah. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feet is flooded with customize this and personalize that, all promising to fix my fine lines and thinning hair, but when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. Your formula couldn't exist without you. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. They get personal. Pros covers everything from your concerns to your age, exercise, and stress levels in order to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They asked me about my hair loss being genetic in my family, how long it takes for my hair to get oily after after a wash, what products and tools I use to style my hair, and even my zip code to understand how the water hardness, UV index, and cold dry winter in Philly might be impacting me. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed my hair is so much softer, shinier, and fuller. I keep getting asked if I got a blowout from the salon. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party double-bind dermatologist-supervised clinical controlled study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash shrinkchicks for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash shrinkchicks. 
Say goodbye to the cheap razor era, my friends. It's time to treat your body to the premium shave it deserves with Athena Club. Em and I just got back from an amazing trip to the Caribbean to celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our practice, the therapy group. And in haste of packing, because yours truly is a packing procrastinator, I forgot my Athena Club razor at home and had to resort to using a subpar flimsy razor that left my skin feeling anything but smooth, a mistake I will never make again. The Athena Club hype is real. The shave is seriously the smoothest I've ever experienced, and that is especially evident after having to use another razor in its absence. Aside from the amazing smoothness, let me tell you why Athena Club's razor kit is a must-have in your self-care routine. First off, can we talk about the price? At just $10, it's an absolute steal. But don't let the price fool you. This razor packs a serious punch. It comes with a beautifully made ergonomic handle and two super sharp razor heads that deliver an incredibly smooth shave every time. Plus, with the included magnetic hook, storage is a breeze. No more dealing with gooby blades or unexpected midnight shower crashing sound surprises. And the quality of the shave is top notch. Those five precision engineered blades glide effortlessly, leaving you a silky smooth skin every time. Plus, the water activated serum and built-in skin guards ensure a comfortable irritation-free shave. Are you ready to upgrade your shaving experience? Switch to the best razor on the market and show your skin you care with Athena Club. Head over to athenaclub.com to try their award winning razor and body products and get 20% off your first purchase with code shrinkchicks at checkout. You can also find Athena Club razors at your local Target store. Trust me, you won't look back. Happy shaving. I remember after uh, Millie was born, so, so it was before 2020, so like virtual thing wasn't like virtual work wasn't super common, especially yeah. for my husband's industry. He had to go back to work two days after she was born. He had started that job. Like, he, like, didn't have PTO yet. He had, it was, like, a new job. And so I was, like, not okay. <laughs> and so I was, like, can you please just ask them if you can work from home? Like, I am freaking out. I'm so scared about being left alone with this baby. I'm so scared about you leaving. And he emailed his boss, and his boss goes, we all had to do it. She'll be fine. I never heard that. Mm-hmm. And then she said, oh, well, when my he said, when my wife had two newborns, um, I had to travel for work the whole time. She just came and stayed in the hotel. I didn't tell you this. No. Oh, which is probably why six months later he, I was like, quit no the work. job. He no longer works. Husband no longer works there, and they were not great. Um, but so that's what I, that's why part of me is like, you know, you have to know like who you work for. Like some point. company cultures don't give a shit that you want to learn and you want to try hard. That's they a want really you to good fake point. it. Oof, God, hurts yep. my soul. I know. Um, okay, a lot of people had questions about work and boundaries. Yeah. So I know it's not necessarily with imposter syndrome, but we still want to answer these because there were so many questions around it. So a lot of people is mainly, so here's a bunch of the different things. <laughs> How the heck do I actually take my lunch break and convince people to leave me alone? How do I set boundaries in a very small office environment? How does someone in a helping profession set realistic boundaries? How to get everyone on the same page about no work emails on their phone? <laughs> This is like has changed from imposter syndrome to boundaries at work. Like, please, God, help us get out of this, right? Um, what to do when a workplace encourages boundaries and then completely violates them? Mm-hmm. No one takes me seriously at work because I'm female. So this is like very interesting. Okay. The best boundaries are direct boundaries that are kind boundaries, right? So let's talk about what that means. Thank you. 
for um, you know what? I know that it's a, a lunchtime and lots of people are going around. This time is really important for me. I'm going to take my lunch hour and then I will come and find you as soon as I'm back. Right? So you don't just set it. You set it and then you also say the check-in time. Yes. And you also, I would recommend wearing headphones. And if you have to go out to your car, you go out to your car. I know that doesn't sound ideal. Why am I sitting in my car to eat my lunch? But who gives a shit if it gets the job done? Right. It creates a physical boundary for you yes. to be able. We, you, you know, we even do that with each other where like if we're on the phone with each other and one of us has like a bunch of meetings and the other one doesn't, and we're just like talking about nothing, which yeah. will happen sometimes or we'll yes. just be on the phone. And Emily will be like, okay, I just got to like eat my lunch and like sit down in silence for a second. Yeah. And then I'll do the same thing. Like I'll, I have to like eat and we, and so I think that creating, you know, that level of communication with like everyone who you work closely with yeah. is really important. And it's an important thing to be able to infuse, I think, from the beginning when you first, you know, start somewhere. And if you haven't, then obviously start to infuse it, uh, you know, now that you're realizing that that's really important to you. I, I think you could also directly say, hey, I listened to a podcast about workplace boundaries. I am starting to implement this. So just so you know, from 12 to 1, I'm not going to be available. Yes. And I think you could say, listen, it helps me re it really helps me re-engage with the work when I have this break. I need this break so bad so that I can be reinvested in the work because I realize when I don't have it, my rest the rest of my day, I am completely disengaged. And so I'm really trying to create this one hour boundary for myself so that I can I can hear what you're saying. I can be engaged with what you're saying and we can actually get some things done after this. I think it's also one of the things you have to keep in mind is for a lot of folks, specifically women, the fear is that I'm a bitch. Mm. The fear is if I say that, all my my uh, coworkers are then going to go into the lunchroom and talk about how I'm a bitch. Okay. I guess right. you're going to have to be okay with being called a bitch. I mean, if that's the worst fucking thing, this is what I think about people. If I have two roads, one is I'm called a bitch, two is the uh, is the other one is that I'm totally fucking burnt out. I get home and I freak out at my partner or my dog because I'm so overstimulated. I would rather be a fucking bitch, man. Choose the bitch road. Right? Uh, like, I mean, I, I think that is for so many of us. That is our fear. I'm going to be called this. Okay, so what if you are? Right. What if that's how people think? Okay, so then this is people's fear. People won't want to hang out with me. I won't get promotions. Okay. It's true. Maybe you'll get invited to less happy hours. Possible. Would that be okay? Does that say anything about you or about them? I think it also falls under the assumption that, like, if you set a boundary for yourself, that the automatic, right? I, I think that's what keep this idea is also what keeps people from setting boundaries is um, if I set a boundary, it means that people will call me a bitch. And like, yes, yeah, so you go down that road that like, OK, if people call you a bitch, you know, it's better than you being resentful. And at the same time, why does it mean, why would that mean for you that other people are going to call you a bitch, mm. you setting a boundary and really taking care of yourself? Yeah. But I mean, I think in our culture, people do act like that. Yeah. They're like, it's uh, so horrible to set boundaries, you well, know? And I think, I think 
what it means is, what is that bringing up for them, for someone, right? Is it bringing up a sense of rejection? Mm. And I think that's a really strong one is that when you say, hey, you know, I can't talk about this right now. I need to take this hour for myself. We can talk about it after lunch. What is it bringing up for them? Is it a sense of, oh, I feel rejected by this person. I feel shut down by this person, right? And Typically, the reason why that's being brought up is that is something that's an interjected emotion for them that has been really embedded in their wounded emotional system for a really long time. Yeah. And that's what's being triggered for them. And I think the key there is that it's not your responsibility to take care of that wound for them. Uh-huh. And you can Uh feel that on other people. You can feel when they might be really wounded by you setting a boundary. But once again, that is about them. And it might mean that the way in which they react to that wound is to talk shit about you because it makes them feel better and more connected to other Mm -hmm. people. That's when you have to say, like, this is not my responsibility. And them doing this is not really about me. Could it cause repercussions in other ways? Absolutely. But how, you know, what? The more important thing is for you to be able to take care of yourself. And so I think we're also talking about like, how do you navigate a workplace that maybe doesn't really feel safe to, yeah. to set those boundaries? And like, what does that look like for you? You know, I think, I, I think about something we've talked about before, which is stroke, stroke, kick, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me out to lunch. I, I hope you continue to invite me. And for today. I'm going to stay here and and get some um, quiet time to ground myself before we start our afternoon activities. Stroke, stroke, and a kick. Right? That And that is so important because you, right, you are saying something nice. You're saying something that's kind, inviting, and also setting a boundary for yourself, that it doesn't have to be one or the other. All right, what else we got? Dealer's choice. All right. Okay. One last one. And then we have to get to your gem and end. Gem. Okay. Let's talk about this one just for a second. We'll go. Well, let's end on one thing about imposter syndrome. Okay. okay. Having a job you're actually underqualified for. Mm. Proving that you're enough. What if you do get a job and you are legitimately underqualified for it? Okay, I like the person admitting that. Me too. Right? Yeah, man. Here's what this I This happens. Say. Yeah. Here's what I would say. Learn as much as you can. Yes. Right. You know, like rise to the listen. occasion. Listen. You know, listen and learn, learn from other people that it's incredible that you are even able to say that because I think that a lot of people would be like, oh, I'm qualified for this. And yeah. they would just shove down all of that imposter syndrome that would really keep them from learning and opening up. I think it's okay to get a job that you're underqualified for as long uh-huh. as you're open to learning on the job. I think. Learning on the job is like sometimes the most learning that you get that like reading something in a book, yeah, you know, it can be helpful. But when you're actually applying it, you know, it's completely different. And so for you to say, I want to learn, I want to learn from people who I can tell really know what they're doing, um, that will open you up to actually learning and to yeah. feeling more qualified for the job. Yeah. Um, all right, dear Evan Jen. Let's do it. I'm going to read it. I got you. I yes. got you, girl. Oh, why? My voice doesn't sound. <laughs> no, I just, why? you know, I, you've been ta- I'm impressed by how much you're talking. I feel it's like re- I can really pull it together. You really can. <laughs> Do you have a fever today? You've There's been so many episodes where you have legitimately had a fever. I know, but you and I experience fevers very differently. Yeah, that's If you true. have a fever, you can't do anything. I'll have I like 103 move. and I'm like, here we're rocking. It's I'm telling you, my mom thinks I have some autoimmune specifically 
for Jewish people that, I don't know, gives you fevers a lot. I can't remember what it is. If someone has it, please let me know what I should do. <laughs> I don't have that. I mean, I'm getting fevers. I am I am out. Yeah. No, I'm like still trucking along. But I think that's I'm also imp- part of being a mom. Yeah, you just do it. I'm impressed with you. Yes. Okay. okay. Dear M and Jen, how do I work through intrusive thoughts as a new mom? Anytime my husband or mom go to check on my 11-week-old when sleeping, I wait for the scream that something is wrong. It It's exhausting. Okay. So first thought, one that's a great book, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. It's amazing. It's very good. Get the book. Okay. Two, it's been 11 weeks. You're still in what we call the fourth trimester. You just had a baby. Your nervous system is fucked up. Your hormones are fucked up. Your response is completely normal. But you're right. It's exhausting. This will get easier. But the question is, right, what are you worried they're going to scream about? Because you're having an intrusive thought. Is it the baby's not breathing? Is it they dropped the baby? Like, I would really try to like, like think about yourself like what it is. You're also still at a time where people are talking about SIDS, which is like the scariest thing I could ever imagine for a parent to go through. And so you're going to have to really work on de-escalating yourself. So maybe that means someone goes in to check the baby and you say to yourself, okay, during this time, I'm going to take some deep breaths. I'm going to put my feet on the floor. I'm going to have a glass of water. And I'm going to be aware and register that right now I'm activated and heightened. And then I'm going to talk my nervous system down. Because typically they're going to walk in and say, oh, she had the bottle. She went back down. Oh, he had a burp. He went back down. Ah, change of a diaper. Easy peasy, right? And so the more that that happens, the easier it's going to feel. But also in general, as your kid gets older, I mean, I've talked about this before. After I had my daughter, I was scared to walk down steps with her. Like I had such an intrusive thought. We have an open staircase and I was so sure she was going to fall off. So fucking sure. I So I would freak out when my husband wouldn't be home because it would be hard for me to go up and down the stairs because it was so anxiety producing for me. I felt very trapped in one room. Oh. That is unfortunately very normal. 98% of women report that they had intrusive thoughts postpartum. And that does not mean that they even have postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or postpartum psychosis or any of those things. That's how common it is. It is completely normal. Part of this is like the hormonal imbalance that comes with after having a child. So know that it's normal. Talk yourself through it. Give yourself a system and a routine for when someone else checks on them and know that this will get better. But also check out this book. Um, It's really phenomenal. We'll link it in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Shrink Chicks. We'll see you back here next Monday for another session. In the meantime, if you want a question answered or a topic discussed, follow us on Instagram at Shrink Chicks. And if you're looking to get connected with a therapist like us to start or continue your therapeutic journey, visit thetherapygroup.com. Just fill out a contact form on our website and we will personally match you with one of our amazing therapists. Also, if you'd be so kind, we'd love a rating review and for you to share with a friend or an enemy or a mother-in-law, honestly, whoever needs it so that we can keep reaching more people on our mission to bring mental health topics to your ears every week. Thanks for being here with us. And don't forget to grow yourself. You got to know yourself.